Well, happy Valentine's Day weekend, everyone. Um, we uh, normally have a, a teaching on marriage on Valentine's weekend, Pastor Brent and Janice, who do such an amazing job in that area. But because we are starting Lent this year, we uh, kicked marriage to the curve. But in, uh, in uh, penance, we are having a great uh, uh, three-hour segment on February 28th, which is a Saturday after this next coming Saturday. Um, from 9 to noon, uh, Pastor Brent and Janice are going to be doing a series on the care and feeding of your marriage. And it's beautiful because most marriages, I think those of you that have been around for a while in marriage know that you have struggle from time to time. And most of the time it's because of just simple neglect of some basic ideas that, uh, that, that, that we sort of avoid and we start drifting apart from each other. And they're going to be talking about some fresh habits that can keep your marriage revived and uh, um, regardless of the circumstances, move you forward in your marriage together. No charges for the seminar and childcare will be provided, but we need you to sign up so we make sure that we have uh, everybody that we, you know, uh, enough people covered for taking care of the kids. You can sign up in the lobby. Okay. We're going to talk about Lenten devotion today, so get all excited. People, people of faith, we're called to live a life of devotion. And uh, that's not always a simple issue. Here's an example of that. This is Ezekiel chapter 33. The scripture reads, They come to you just as people flock to see someone famous. My people sit at your feet in devotion and seem to hang on your every word, but they never apply those sacred instructions to their own lives. So he's talking about a devotion that's present, but it's not a devotion that ends an actual change in their lives. That's problematic. Then he goes on, for they act as they speak with lustful desire, and they think only of how they will profit. So they're, they're devoted, but they're devoted in a wrong direction. This notion of devotion is uh, a tad gnarly, but we're called to it in our lives. The word devote actually comes from a Latin word that means to vow, like a marriage vow. And what a vow is, is it's a promise. It's a promise to engage in a certain way uh, with the person that you're vowing to. It's actually rooted, the notion of vowing is rooted in an ancient practice of these warriors that would go to conquer lands. And when they chose to go, they had to commit to it. And what that commitment looked like is they would embark in ships and go to the shore of the land they were going to conquer. And when they disembarked from the ships and started going into conquer, you know what they did with the ships? They burned them. Why? They were basically saying, we ain't getting out of this. <laughs> We're here to do this, and you either do it or we die. That's where the word vow sort of comes from. It's a rumor of that. It sort of reflects that. So when we say we're devoted to something, we're saying we're committed to it. We're going to do it. We're going into it, and we're not going to retreat from it. As Christ followers, we are called to a life of devotion. In 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. That when you start moving toward him, you burn the ships that'll make you leave or give you a way out. You're in this. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the enemy of, of the soul, the serpent's cunning, that your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Discipleship 
is living life of being promised to God. Um, the primary vow that we take really is the baptismal vow. This is where we're supposed to be devoted to receiving everything that God has freely given to us in Christ. We vow that what Jesus did is not going to be in vain for us, that we're going to open our hearts to him. We're supposed to be devoted to facing the cross in order to ensure that what Jesus did isn't ignored by us. This is where salvation is found, our devotion to that moment of God's grace. And, and that's where the journey of faith begins. And really... This is the only necessary or required devotion as far as God is concerned. Even though it's the only thing that's required, doesn't mean there can't be more. Because devotion is about loving. Um, I, I think there's plenty of room for believers to love God in response to what he has done, but then to love God extra in ways that, that are not really required. That, that we can be, as a result of being touched by the eternal I think that there's ways that we can be caught up with an infatuation of the holy, right? I'm not saying that we should try to be more devoted or to try to love God extra in order to make him love us more because that doesn't work. He loves us, period. He just flat likes you. He has fallen in love with your face. He's locked it in. He's thrown away the key. He loves you, right? We need to frequently feed on the fact that God just plain loves us incautiously and recklessly. We need to find great comfort in the fact that he knows every stupid, silly, mean, ill-motived, and sinful thing that we do, and he still pursues and loves us. That's our God. But, but what if we do more than just think about that? I mean, what if we want to respond to that more? Um, I think that seasons of devotion like Lent are designed to afford us that kind of thing. Where we say, God, I, I know it's not required of me, but I want to love you extra. You know, there's seasons, you know, like Valentine's Day, for instance, is, is a time when, when you, you are afforded an opportunity to love the person that you're involved with extra. Now, you don't have to do it. Well, some have to. But that's probably not healthy, right? But it's really a time for you to have an opportunity to love extra. Is this, that's kind of the idea, that there's seasons that we can go into as Christians where we say, God, I just want to love you extra. Uh, and I honestly, I think that it's cool to love God extra. There's a text that Jesus talks about loving God where he says in Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. When I read a text like that, I always think, I'm not sure I love you with all that. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love you with some of that. I love you with some of my heart and some of my soul and some of my mind and some of my strength. And I have my moments of intensity. I mean, in the middle of a worship service at church or, you know, when I'm having a devotional moment or a contemplative prayer moment, there are those times where I feel alive and lit up. But, but it isn't like that permeates all of my life. And there are times I stop and I say, God, I... I want to love you more than I do. I want to love you enough to be willing to do what the saints who have gone before me have done. Um, we're not talking about ordinary devotion here, nor do I think that we're talking about something that's required. There's, there's no suggestion here that I think everyone needs to be radically passionate all the time or consecrated in order to be saved because salvation is the work of God. It's not the result of some human perseverance or human diligence. I just don't think it is. But I do think that feeling a 
deep, compelling need to consecrate oneself back to God in response to what he has done, to give more to God than he demands. It's kind of a natural reaction for those that have been deeply touched by God. To him who's been forgiven much, remember Jesus said, loves much. Uh, There's something in us that I think echoes the psalmist's cry. This is in Psalm 40. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified, magnified. You know, you've all seen magnified, magnifying glasses, right? What do they do? What do they do? They make things bigger. He's saying, God, I, I, I want to say of you, be made bigger in my life, bigger than you are right now. There's a, a, a text in Isaiah 11 that talks about the Messiah and that how the Messiah would delight in the fear of the Lord and that he will not judge by what, is, what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. That somehow he would, and we see that like in Jesus when the woman is brought before him that's caught in adultery and they're all saying, we need to stone her to death. Remember what Jesus does? He kneels on the ground and he's writing. You know what I think he's doing? I think he's fearing the Lord. I think he's looking to God saying, what are you saying here? I'm not going to decide by what I see with my eyes or decide by what I hear with my ears. I want to see what you're saying. I want you to be magnified in this situation. I want to know what you want to say. See, because most of us, if we're not careful, we walk through our day and we just react to what we see. We just, something happens, somebody treats us a certain way, and we have this reaction. And I think that, that what the challenge is, is that if we can open our, and let God become bigger in our lives, instead of reacting, we can act. We can pause and instead of responding from the slap that we get and the sting that's there, we can turn the other cheek. Take the time to respond from a different place, a place that's healthier, a place that's not stinging, a place that isn't reactive. And I think this is the kind of thing that, that, that allows God to be made bigger in our lives, that we can actually make room for him in our lives. Devotion somehow opens that up. The other night I was with a friend and I jumped in his car. He wasn't expecting me to jump in his car. For some reason, we, I forget what the circumstance was, but I ended up having to jump in his car. And he wasn't ready for anybody to jump in his car because he had all his stuff in there. He had stuff on the floor, his stuff on the seat. He goes, just, just, just a minute. You know? Then he intentionally is picking up stuff, putting it in the back. He was making room for me. See, I, th- I think that we can look at our lives and sometimes we need to change up what we got going intentionally to make room for God. Um, I think that's what devotion is about. It's about intentionally. This Starting this Wednesday, our community is intentionally going to participate in a 40-day journey to resurrection. It's called Lent. Uh, and and we're, we're, we're hopeful this is going to be a season of renewed devotion for us as a community, together as a community. And we've added some special services, right? We've added uh, Ash Wednesdays this coming week, uh, 7 p.m. We have house churches are going on around the city on different nights. We've got the Good Friday Tenebrae service. Tenebrae is Latin for darkness or shadows. And it's a great service where we just gather in and we have, it's just candle lit and then the candles are all blown out as we read through the passion account until Jesus dies and the last candle is burned out or blown out and we leave the room in darkness. It's an amazing service if you've never been to one. And, and so there's, we want to encourage you to engage in with God in some ways, to, to, to promise into participation. 
in, in, in the hope that something might open up for you. And not only engage, but also challenge you to consider to devote yourself to some fasting. Everybody always gets excited about fasting, right? Whether you're giving up some meals, you know, or fast on a day or two or something, or giving up a lunch and dinner, or maybe some specific things like candy or meat or coffee. That's a tough one, coffee. Um, Daniel and his friends in the, it were in Babylon in the Old Testament, and the scripture says that they participated in just eating certain things, vegetables and stuff. They call it the Daniel fast. So it is okay to fast while you just eat some things and not other things. And a fast is anything that you do where you're giving up something that you love so that it messes with you, so that you notice it's not it, that you're not getting to do it. And what you do is you take that thing that you're missing and you redirect it to God. You redirect the longing to God. It's like those of you, if you decide, maybe some of you will decide to give up chocolate and um, you'll go up to your chocolate drawer and I'm assuming some of you have one of those drawers. Can I see your hand, please? Okay, there's just one of you. The rest of you are lying. There's more than just one. You go up to your chocolate drawer and, and instead of grabbing the chocolate and eating it, you, you take that impulse and say, no, no, no. No, I'm going to redirect my heart to God. This longing I have for chocolate, I'm redirecting it to God. When I was first learning how to do this, fasting, I used to just think fasting was torment. I didn't understand that fasting was really going on a date with God. Right? But because when when those of you that started dating before you got married or dating just in general, you know how it messes with your life. Right? You start dating someone and then you push things out in order to spend time with that person. And the more you fall in love before you know it, your friends are going, what's wrong with you? You don't even like me anymore. You're right. I don't like you anymore. I like her. <laughs> and I'm pushing you out to make room for her. It's like that. It's like you're, you're pushing this thing out that you've been normal loving and you're going to love God. Uh, and, and when I first started doing it, I remember thinking about that and going, you know, one of the things, I, I don't like them so much anymore, but I used to really, really like them is quarter pounders with cheese. And so I would literally go, you know, go to McDonald's drive-by or go into the actual restaurant and look at the McDonald's hamburger, smell it. And then I would go, I really, really want one of these. I'm talking about when I was not eating. I really, really want one of these hamburgers, but I want you more. So I would take the torment of the longing and redirect it. See, fasting is not supposed to be about torment. It's a, spa, it's a God date. It's reflecting your love and your passion for something other than what you think you want at the time. And it should mess with you. And in the messing, it's making room for God. The word Lent actually comes from a word that means to cleanse. And uh, we get the notion of spring cleaning from this. In fact, early centuries when they would practice Lent, which goes all the way back to the second century. And by the by, uh, just so you know, when we use terms like Lent or Eucharist, it's like people say, well, you're just, are you being Roman Catholic? Listen, these Words like Lent are from the second century. It, it, it's not a, the, the Roman Catholic Church becomes what it is late. These are. It is no more Roman Catholic to say Lent than it is to say Bible or prayer. It's all part. It's just all part of the, tra- the tradition. It's just that for most of us as Protestants, we jettisoned most of our history, and some of us are going. We shouldn't do that. 
Let's recapture it. So Lent, this idea is this notion of, it was actually a worship for people when they do spring cleaning. They were sort of saying, we want to make space for the new where they clean around their house and get out the old shrubs of winter and they'd, they'd, they'd want to make room for the new. And the notion was, let's make room in our hearts for resurrection life, for the newness of life that comes from Christ. Our theme for this year is clean hands, making our hands clean so that we can touch what God wants us to touch. So I understand you're accepted in God whether you're, you know, a filthy-handed person. <laughs> God welcomes you. You're, he loves you. You don't have to change a thing. You can be, continue to be a moron, and God loves you. Right? But if you want to be active in the kingdom, you need to let him wash your hands because kingdom action requires clean hands. Uh, ministry, if you, if you, if you will. Um, in Psalm 24, he says, who may ascend to the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and doesn't lift his soul up to an idol or swear by what is false. In times of, of devotion, you start finding out what your idols are. You start finding out if your life is false. It just starts to show up in your life. I mean, anytime somebody tries to take something from you that you like, it makes you mad. Anytime you're inconvenienced, it's like you have these, just under the, under the, just under the, below the surface of our soul, most of us think we're really loving and really kind and really generous until you take something from me, that's fine, right? And then I freak out. See, that's what it does. It stirs you up and it sort of reveals what's going on in your heart. But, but here in this moment, we can say, God, cleanse me. I open my life to you. Mess with me. My dad... He passed away several years ago. He, uh, all through my life, I can remember, as, even as a little kid, if he had something he was holding and I wanted to see it, I'd say, Dad, let me see that. First question out of his mouth was, are your hands clean? He was a Turkish physician who was fairly particular. And all through my life, even into my 50s before he died, if I still, I mean, to his dying day, if I would say to Dad, can I see that? He said, are your hands clean? <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's important that we have seasons where we get our hands clean, and that's what this can be for us. The call to this kind of devotion may not be required for salvation or anything like that, but it's not unbiblical. I mean, we have texts like Colossians 4 that says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You can have seasons where you do extra prayer. Devotion, again, is a promise into it. Uh, he says in... in uh, um, 1 Timothy 4, until I come, devote yourself to public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Titus 3, he says, this is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Things that are, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So, why would we do this extra loving if it's not to earn anything with God? I think... It, we do it for the same reason that a man and woman would enter into a serious devotion of marriage. Because I think when a couple, they meet and they see each other and they start dating and they're with each other, they, they get to a point where they, they, they face this question. Would, would I rather be with this person for the rest of my life, my life or not with this person for the rest of my life? And they get to the point where they decide that marrying them is going to give them a better life than if they didn't marry them. And so they're actually devoting into the imagination of being together and what that life would constitute versus not being together. And because of that, because devotion is about imagination, it has a kind of mystery to it. 
uh, in speaking of how men and women would be willing to leave their families of origin and cleave to each other in order to make this solemn marriage vow, this devotion thing, Paul declares, this is a profound mystery. Why is it a mystery? It's a mystery because you don't know what it actually means, right? I mean, you don't know that opening yourself to that person, how it will change you, what, what you're risking. Will you be happy? Will you get hurt? Are they an axe murderer? Right? Are you foolish or wise in this decision? And so there's all kinds of questions, scary questions, because devotion is rooted in mystery. And so when you think about doing a, a season of devotion like Lent and you say, okay, what will this be like? I mean, I'm, I'm going to give up meals on Friday or I'm going to not do chocolate or I'm going to do this or I'm going to go to house churches. I mean, you, you know, in the back of your mind, you think, well, if I, if I really don't eat chocolate, maybe I will die. <laughs> right? Well, how will it change you? What are you risking? Will you be happy? Will it hurt bad? All of these kinds of questions. But, but even though there's, there's, there's risk in it, the mystery is part of the joy of it. Over the years that we've done this Lenten journey as a community, on some level, it's been bothersome and uncomfortable. But on another level, it's been transformative for us, for many of us. In 2 Corinthians 6, I think we get this, the, the real why behind why you would devote yourself in a season like this of extra. And it's really to discover grace. Watch it. This is 2 Corinthians 6. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain, which means you can. He's suggesting here that God's grace is all around us. He goes on, for he says that in the time of my favor, which is what grace is, God's favor. In the time of my favor, I, I heard you. So God listens to us in the time of his favor. And on the day of salvation, I help you. He's saying God listens and God helps you. He's around you to do that. Don't let that be in vain. And he says, I tell you, now is a time of God's favor. Right now is a day of salvation. Right now, God listens to you. Right now, God wants to help you. And Paul says, watch out, because that can be in vain. And words, in vain means of no account. Um, powerless as far as you're concerned. It doesn't mean anything to you. Think of that. We can be immersed in God's grace and it not affect us. It can be vanity. And, and somehow devotion is about promising you're going to hunt for that grace. It's about you saying, God, I know you, you're, you're listening to me and I know you're willing to act for me. I want to pursue that a little bit extra in my life. We know that, that somehow God's grace is what makes everything work. It's what establishes our salvation in Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved. We know it's our only hope for holiness. He says in Titus 2, for the grace of God that brings salvation appears to everyone, to all people. It, God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It teaches us to say no to worldly passions. And it teaches us to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. See, the reality is if you're not saying no to ungodliness, you're not saying no to sin, it's because you need grace. It's not just because you're a bad person. I mean, you are a bad person, right? I mean, we know that. Everybody's a bad person. Some of you are less socially bad, but you're just as evil, right? I mean, so for instance, I, one of the most heinous things that I think it's just horrible is when people look down on people. Amen, right? I mean, isn't that a horrible sin? So I look down on people who look down on people. And some of you go, way to go, Ed. Right? Because it's just a holier sin. But 
the reality is, it's still an evil thing. So you might be a really good evil person or a real bad evil person, but bottom line is you're evil. And whatever your little zone is that you so easily fall into, you're never good. God isn't trying to say, come on, up your commitment. Come on, stop it. He's, what he's saying is, would you be willing to find the grace that helps you say no to what you so easily say yes to? Would you be willing to find the grace that helps you say yes to godliness and uprightness? Because when you say yes to the grace, it isn't applause to you or you don't get merit badges. All you're doing is participating in a work of God in you. It's all about grace, not about you. Christianity is not, our, is not a thing that we're supposed to do. It's a thing we're supposed to respond to. It's when Paul says, I urge you therefore, brethren, in Romans 12, I urge you therefore to present yourselves to God why do you present yourself, not perform for God, you know, but present yourself to a God who performs in you? So what we're supposed to be after is God's grace. He says that, that somehow the grace commands our lives. One other place, Paul says that not only does grace help you say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things, it also causes you to live a life that matters. See, so you can be a Christian and God loves you and you just not live a life that matters. You can just scuzz along and no matter how goofy you act or irresponsible you are, you need to know something. God loves you. He is for you. I mean, the scripture says, even if you, if you run from God and run to the other side of the world, he's there. If you make your bed in hell, Psalm 139 says, he's there. It doesn't matter. He has completely committed himself to you. But there's a difference between constantly living in the grace that just simply repairs and then living in a grace that actually builds. It's both grace. But the challenge, Paul says, is you can actually live in a way that matters. But he says in 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. It's kind of a circular thing. But what he's saying is there's grace all around us. God is listening in here and God is acting in our behalf. And I am what I am. The, the power of my life is because of God's grace. But it's grace that's not vain to me. I worked harder than everyone. I devoted to it is what he's saying. And yet even that was a grace to be able to devote to it. So imagine what your life would be like with more grace filling your soul. I mean, this is why you might consider devoting yourself to extra prayer this season or attending the house churches or doing some fasting during Lent 2015 because you want to vow into grace. What would it look like if, if you were, were saying yes more to the good things and no to the bad things? What would it look like if your life was filled with a kind of space where all of a sudden you're living more richly? with God being bigger, vowing into grace. So, okay, so God loves you if you don't do this with us. You don't have to do this with us. We're not talking about loving God in a demanded way. These are unnecessary, unrequired ways. In fact, the danger of devotion like this is that someone faces it as though it's required. And in that, it becomes overwhelming to them. It's like a shotgun wedding, <laughs> right, which results in a vow, but it's not a good one. Right? We don't want you to feel like that. Be here Ash Wednesday or, you know, you're in trouble. Right? That's not what anybody's saying. Go to house churches. That's not what we're saying. Right? Uh, 
we shouldn't think of upping our devotion because we feel forced into it or because we want to fit in with what sanctuary is doing or because we think we owe it to God. You, you, you don't owe anything to God and you don't earn anything with God and you don't want what you could have earned. Right? This kind of devotion has to be born out of an enthusiasm of a generous will where you just want to love God Never the result of pressure. And if you enter the arena of devotion for the wrong reason, like trying to get God to be happier with you or to be more holy or, or to be a better Christian or to make God more inclined to give you something, I mean, all you'll do is make your faith harder instead of sweeter. Because devotion is not about us trying to get anything at all. It's about us loving God beyond what he asks. It, it, it's about identifying and promising to participate in activities that move us more and more deeply into the rhythm of God's grace and his kingdom. That's what it is. It's not because we have to, but because we want to. It's about doing things that cultivate a kind of consistent, resounding yes in our hearts before God. So, as one of your spiritual leaders here at Sanctuary, I'm asking you to join with us in this 40-day journey starting this Wednesday. I want to encourage you to do some fasting. Again, I know no one likes to fast. It's disturbing. It's uncomfortable. And there's nothing fast about it. In fact, when you're fasting, time sort of distends. If you fast a day without eating, you go for hours and it's only been 15 minutes. It's just like, in fact, we should really call it, rename it, we should rename fasting slowing. When you fast, a longing for the things you, you know, normally love will spike, and so will other things. The appearance of grumpiness and gnawing impatience and acute awareness of all the injustices in your life. <laughs> it's like these dragons come out, right? Uh, the old cartographers, the map makers would usually draw maps on what they had, had, you know, sort of surveyed. But then there were always areas in the ancient world where they hadn't surveyed the areas. And what they would do is they draw the maps of what had been surveyed. And on the, on the edges of those maps where they knew there was land, but they didn't know what was there, they would simply put in the margins where dragons lie. And most of us, we've got it pretty mapped out. We're pretty Christian when we come to church. We're pretty Christian when it comes to, you know, doing our devotion time or something. But then there's these uncharted regions of our life. And if you're not careful, when you start moving to that, you're going to run into some dragons. And some of you are going to have lots of dragons. And you're going to be shocked by just how unchristian you are. And that's what's good about it, you know? You, you know you, and understand this. This is what we're trying to do. It's not that, not that entering into a promise to pray more, entering into a promise to not eat chocolate or whatever. It isn't that we're trying to just do the action. We're trying to see what happens when we try to do the action. Right? It's okay if you, if you freak out, you know, and you're having a bad day and, and then, you know, you said you were going to eat chocolate and then, you know, after work on Wednesday, after you've been doing pretty good for 15 days, you just have had it. And so you reach into the chocolate drawer and eat four pounds of chocolate and you throw up on yourself and eat another four pounds. It's okay. All you need to do is say, God, look what an idiot I am. I mean, there's, some, there's something redeeming in this. The fact that it bothers you so much shows something about you. The fact that you're, you know, you're manifesting demons, right? 
You didn't even know those demons were there until we started this. <laughs> it's all right. And, 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 and even if you, you know, and there'll be times if you, if you say you're not going to do something like chocolate. Obviously, I have a chocolate issue. But if, uh, <laughs> right, I, I do. I, 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 uh. So there may be times where, you know, you just automatic, you know, some of this automatic action. I mean, I'll find myself without thinking about it. I'll be over in the chocolate drawer, and you, and you may be over there, and you'll eat it, and you'll think, oh, I fasted this for Lent, and there's chocolate in my mouth. <laughs> Just eat it. See, you know, when you vow into something, promise into something, it's like marriage. Every one of you that have been married have said something like, you know, that I vow to cherish you and to honor you and to put your needs above my own. Have you ever done that perfectly? No, a vow isn't about perfection. And you don't, if you break, if you just yell at each other and you were real selfish, you don't think, oh, crud, I just broke the wedding vow. I guess we're divorced. (laughs) No, if you don't do it right, you simply just say, okay, that was stupid. I need to turn back. That's all you do. If you vowed to do something and you mess it up, just say, okay, God, I vowed to do this. I promised to do this. I'm devoted to this. Okay, let me get back into it today. Let's start over again. That's okay. The point of Lenten devotion is not about doing what we promised to do or feeling an accomplishment that we did it. The whole enterprise is a pursuit for interaction with a living God and with his grace. Let's stand together. Let's every head bowed, please, and every eye closed. No one's looking around. You don't hear that often here. <laughs> We're going to have us an old-fashioned old crow right here. I want to see how many of you want to be involved with us on this Lenten journey. Just, you just in your heart, you want to make a commitment on some level. You're not saying what you're going to do, but on some level, you're going to engage in some of these activities, whether it be just a little extra prayer times in your life, the daily office. If you don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, maybe some contemplative prayer, maybe coming to some of this extra services or house churches, something like that. And, and, and thinking about maybe giving up some things as well, fasting some things. And during this season of 2015 in Lent, just every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you just lift your hand and say, I'm going to participate in that? Good. Great, 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 great. Good, 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 good. You also just committed to a $1,000 offering. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All right, so let's just take a minute or so and just imagine what you might do. You want to participate in some of the corporate things we're doing, like the house churches or in prayer stuff that you've heard about? What do you want to give up? What, what, what pulls on your heart? Give me up coffee. I had a guy that gave up coffee a few years ago, and he said every morning, he sent me an email. He said, every morning when I wake up, Pastor Ed, I just want you to know I hate you just a little bit. <laughs> So what do you want to, what, what, what might you give up in this season that might get you on a God date? Redirect your heart to him. Just imagine.
the good news is you don't have to decide till Wednesday <laughs> or Tuesday night. You better decide Tuesday night. It starts Wednesday. And some of you may, this may be a year for you to do Lent light. Sometimes I do Lent light. I don't feel in my soul that pressure to push in. Sometimes I feel Lent heavy. This year is a little Lent heavy for me, I feel, because there's some issues we're sort of processing through, trying to hear God's voice a little more clearly. We're going to do a little more heavy Lent this year for some of us. So whatever you're at, just just pray into it and think about it. And remember, Tuesday's Fat Tuesday, so just engorge yourselves, pig out, um, <laughs> right? I mean, defile yourself. <laughs> Pastoral care. Pastor Prince goes, stop, <laughs> for the love of God and all that's holy. <laughs> all right. Father, we do ask you by the power of the Holy Spirit that you'll help us. Would you pray this with me? This is a little Lenten um, liturgy. God who lives within me. God who loves me without end. God who believes in me. God who knows what I can become. God who can change my heart. God who shines forth in the person of Jesus. God who turns darkness into light. God who rejoices in me. God who calls me to trust in you. In this season of Lent, we turn to you in trust, our God of all goodness. Hear the prayers we make on our journey. As we participate in Lenten promises, open our hearts. When we fail in one of our promises, help us to start over again with changed hearts, we pray. When we feel we cannot change and it is all too hard. Lord, you bring light where there is darkness. You turn our sorrow into joy. You make us new when we trust you. Hear our prayers and transform us in your love. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.